turn your Bible to the book of Jude, please. The book of Jude. We begin with verse 8. The book of Jude, beginning with verse 8. May we bow together in a moment of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths that we've heard tonight in song. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And you've promised never to leave us alone, not for even an hour. We thank you, Lord, that there is a great day coming. It will be sad for some, joyous for others. We pray that we might not be guilty of wasted years, that the Lord will speak to our hearts in such a way that we'll know when tough times come, we can turn to the Lord because there's nobody else to turn to. And we thank you that those who have anchored in Jesus have the assurance everything's going to be all right. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Jude was written by the half-brother of the Lord. He did not believe on Jesus until after the resurrection. There are two books in the New Testament that were written by the half-brother of the Lord. And when we say the half-brother, we mean that Jesus was the Son of God. The human vehicle was Mary, but he had no earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. But Mary and Joseph had additional children after Jesus was born. Among those were James and Jude. James is the author of the book of James. Jude is the author of this little book called Jude. And it's as if Jude were planning to write a new biography of Jesus. In verse 3, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, he said, I was planning to write to you about our common salvation, but I found that it was more needful to write to warn you to contend for the faith and then he goes into the rest of this exposition to remind us that there are some who apparently are in the church who are not in the kingdom. And there are some, perhaps, who are even in the kingdom who live wasted lives and wasted years. We begin with verse 8. In like manner also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts when they feast with you 
feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about by winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the darkness and blackness forever. And Enoch also, seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now in this passage, the author Jude, under the impression of the Holy Spirit, mentions three characters from the Old Testament. We want to look at those three characters for just a moment tonight because they represent men who live wasted years. The song that Sue Shera gave us earlier this evening, what a song it was. You imagine living wasted years. Listen to those words. Have you wandered alone on life's pathway? Have you lived without love a life of tears? Have you searched for the great highest meaning? Or is your life filled with love or wasted years? Wasted years, oh how foolish. As you walk on in darkness and fear, turn around, turn around. God is calling. He's calling you from a life of wasted years. And that's exactly what he's doing. And I believe there may be some in this auditorium tonight who are right on the verge of wasting the prime time of your life. In our generation, we have what is called prime time. Usually that refers to that, those hours in the evening, maybe between six and nine, when uh, the rated the television audiences have the largest audience, maybe 10, six and 10. And they call that prime time. Billy Graham from time to time says, we're buying prime time on television. He means that they're not gonna have it in the afternoon or the morning or late at night. They're gonna have their broadcast during prime time, usually between seven and nine sometime. Now, there are people here tonight who have prime time and you can give it to yourself, to God, or to the devil. And we have to choose what we're going to do. And the three characters that are mentioned in Jude are illustrations of men who just sold out to themselves and their lives were filled with wasted years. And what a tragedy. Would you turn your Bible to Genesis chapter four? Genesis, the fourth chapter. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel. Notice that Abel was the younger. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. 
Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? That's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, the very first persons in life. He was the eldest son. He had all the advantages and practically none of the disadvantages. The eldest son would always inherit the property. The eldest son could always boss his younger brother around. The eldest son was in charge. Now Cain became a man that worked out in the fields, an honorable work. He worked with the vegetables and the herbs Good work. Abel was a herdsman. He worked with the animals. Both of them had been aware of Adam and Eve's sin. They had heard the story that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked, they were afraid of God, they went and hid themselves in the bushes they sewed fig leaves together and tried to cover their nakedness. And God came walking in the cool of the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? <clears throat> and Adam didn't answer. He was afraid of God. It's awful to be afraid of God. We need to have the fear of God in our hearts, but not to be afraid of him, scared of him, running from him. We need to run to him, not away from him. And Adam was running from God. And God said, Adam, how did you know you were naked? What is this you have done to try to hide your nakedness? And God took an animal and he slew the animal shedding blood and he put the skins of that animal around Adam and Eve to hide their nakedness. They were clothed, if you will. We live in a generation today that doesn't want to be clothed any longer. They want to go as naked as they possibly can. But when a man got the covering from God, he had his nakedness covered. And I want you to notice that it was not without the shedding of blood that man's sin was covered. Right in the very dawn of creation, God was setting forth a principle that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. And far down the court of the years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus became the fulfillment of that when he went to the cross and shed his blood on the cross, an offering for our sins. 
For almost all things are the blood purged from sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, Abel and Cain both knew that. They grew up in the same home. They had the same mother and dad. They had heard the same stories. It came to pass when they were going to sacrifice to God. They were going to come to the Lord and have right standing with God. That Abel came and offered a blood sacrifice. He took of his animals and he slew an animal. Shedding of blood. And he offered that sacrifice to God. Cain said, I want to do the best I can. I work out here in the herbs and the vegetables and the fields. I'm going to bring a sacrifice to God too. I'll just do the best I can. Beloved, the best we can is never good enough. Not one man, woman, boy or girl here tonight has ever done good enough. And so Cain, recognizing in his heart that this was not God's way, it was his way. It was his plan. It was his idea. I don't want God to tell me anybody. I don't want anybody to tell me how to offer a sacrifice. I'll just do the best I can. And he has lots of kinsmen today. Just this last week, we witnessed to a person who said, well, I'm doing the best I can do. And I believe they, they really thought that. The problem is the best they can do is not good enough. There's not any of us that can do the best we can do that would be accepted by God. We have to do what God says to do. Cain rejected God's way. He wanted his way. Abel accepted God's way and rejected his own way. Well, the Bible says that God had respect to Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's. It made Cain furious. In the process of time, he got jealous. And like Saul, who got jealous of David, he decided he was going to get rid of this man, this, this guy that was a Mr. Goody Good, Mr. Goody Shoes, always doing what God wanted him to do, never making any mistakes, always doing what God wanted him to do. And it, it bothered him. <clears throat> you know why the religious scribes and Pharisees crucified Jesus? Because his righteousness was so beautiful and so powerful that it showed up their own negative attitude and their own wicked heart. And they couldn't stand it and they got jealous of him and they wanted to get rid of him. Right. Same way with Cain. He wanted to get rid of Abel. And one day he rose up and slew his brother Abel. Now I want to tell you. God came and said, where is your brother? And in almost nonchalance, Cain said, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? And that question has echoed down the corridor of the years, all through the time since creation, am I my brother's keeper? And there's an everlasting impression and implication in Scripture for an everlasting, yes, we are our brother's keeper. It is our concern where our brother is, where he's going to spend eternity, what he does with his life. Now Jude is warning. These people 
of whom I'm writing, have gone in the way of Cain. What does that mean? Instead of doing what God said to do, they did what they wanted to do. They came to a juncture in life where they recognized the challenge of God. They knew the Lord had a plan, a purpose for their lives. They said, I don't want to do that. I'll do what I want to do. I want my way. Now, I want you to notice some things about Cain. When he left, after he had killed The scripture says that God put a mark on Cain. Now people have tried to figure out through the years what was that mark? Was it some kind of a I've even had heard people say, well, the mark of Cain was that his skin changed color and he became a black man. I, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the scripture teaches at all. Others have said, well, there's some kind of a mark that you could tell. I don't think so. I think God just marked the man. God marked the man. Now listen, the man that says no to the will of God, God marks you. And if you say no to the will of God long enough, God marks you in such an indelible way that you'll never accomplish what God planned for you to accomplish and all your life will be lived in the lowlands. <clears throat> never doing what God said to do. Now Cain accomplished a lot. He's the first man that built a city. He called the city after his son's name, Enoch. It's not the Enoch that walked with God, another Enoch. Enoch, E-N-O-C-H. He was also the man who is credited with some of the great descendants that ever existed. Jabel was one of his descendants. He was the first nomad, the man who lived in tents. Jubal was one of his descendants, the great musician, musical people. But notice how they used their music. We read about Jubal, the great musician. They had an advanced civilization. All that came through the lineage of Cain, but it was in rebellion against God. And ultimately, in the sixth chapter of Genesis, we find that God had to just wipe that generation out because they were in such rebellion against God. You compare the music of Cain's descendant Jubal with the music of David, the sweet singer of Israel. Those wonderful Psalms, we've forgotten the melodies, but the Psalms live on. Who knows any of the, any of the music of Jubal? It's all gone. It was a world kind of music, didn't last. Cain not only wasted his life, but the descendants that followed his train, they all wasted their lives. And when that civilization was destroyed by the flood, nobody has a hint of what was going on except there was an advanced civilization all wiped out by judgment. Another one of his descendants was Tubal Cain, a man who worked in metalwork. Some Bible students believe that the ancient pyramids 
of Egypt were built in the antediluvian world before the flood. And it's possible that some of the metallic cones that used to be on those pyramids were an opportunity to communicate with outer space. When our astronauts went around the world, around the globe, they discovered that the, the pyramids in Egypt and the pyramids in Southeast Asia, the Himalayan mountains, and the pyramids in Central America and in the Devil's Triangle, so to speak, off the coast of Florida, all those lined up. And it led some to speculate that possibly the, over in Southeast Asia, they say that some of those cones perhaps are still there or the, or the, the, the relics of them. And it's possible that some of those were, were used for communication with outer space. I don't know that. But all of it's gone now. All of it's gone. All that he accomplished is gone with the wind. I want to tell you, if you live your life outside the will of God, all that you accomplish, you may accomplish some things, but all of it will be full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And when life here is over, it'll just be wood, hay, and stubble. Won't amount a thing of anything in the kingdom of God. And there's some here tonight who are right on the verge of going in the way of Cain, just throwing your life away, wanting your own way rather than God's way, rather than making that eternal commitment that says, not my will, but thine be done, we're saying, not thy will, but mine be done. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Now there's a second person I wanna to present to you. His name was Balaam. Would you turn your Bible to the book of Numbers, chapter 22 and 23 and 24? We don't have time to read all of this tonight. We'll just read a little bit of it. <clears throat> the children of Israel set forward and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab was very much afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, now shall this company lick us all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pathor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over us. Come now, therefore, I pray you, and curse for me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall prevail, and we may smite them, that I may drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and whom thou cursest is cursed. Now listen. Balaam was a strange kind of an individual. He was called a seer, S-E-E-R. Some have even called him a prophet. He knew about God as to whether he really knew God personally. I don't know, strange kind of a person. Jude says that these people he's writing about have perished 
gone away in the way not only of Cain, but of Balaam. Well, what did Balaam do? Balak, the king of the Moabites, tried to hire Balaam to come down and curse the Israelites. The Israelites had come out of Egypt and they were coming on their way to the, to the land of promise. And as they came through the land, they asked permission to pass by the borders and permission was not granted. And the Moabite king got so furious, he wanted to curse them and he knew he didn't know how, he didn't have the ammunition, he didn't have the know-how to destroy all those armies. And so he was gonna get a prophet of God to come and curse them. Now Balaam started pretty good. When they sent for him, Balaam said, well, you know I can't do that. Now, sir, I can only bless those that God blesses and curse those that God curses. So far, so good. Well, Balak didn't accept that word. So he sent back a second time. He said, I'll increase the wage. I'll give you more. You come down here and curse them. Balaam said a second time, I can't do that. I can only bless the people God blesses and curse the people God curses. So far, so good. Listen. It's not how you pass test number one and test number two and test number three. It's how you finish the course. It's what you get on the final exam. It's what you do in the latter years. George Mueller used to pray, Lord, keep me from becoming a bitter old man. I've known some people who started well, but when the going really, really got tough, it just went away. Balaam passed test one, two, three, four. Finally, finally, they kept coming and coming and coming and offering higher wages and Balaam said, well, I guess it wouldn't hurt to go down there and just look. So got on his donkey and started down. And no longer could Balaam hear from God because he was so determined, he was so, his, his head was so turned by those bribes that all he could think about was, maybe there's something in it, maybe I could do that. I'll just go down and see. And on the way, God tried to speak to Balaam and Balaam wouldn't listen, wouldn't even hear, couldn't hear. He got spiritual, hard of hearing. And God had to speak to that dumb animal. And the dumb animal tried to stop Balaam and he rubbed up against the building. And it hurt, it, it hurt Balaam's leg. He rubbed up on the other side of the building, hurt the other leg. And Balaam started whipping the ass. And he whipped him and beat him and said, why are you doing this? And God opened the mouth of the dumb animal and spoke to Balaam because Balaam wouldn't listen to God. Now that's what happens when you go away from God. These are men I'm talking about who have known something about God. Whether they were God's children or not, they knew something about him. They were not atheists. They weren't even agnostics. They knew something about God. They had even obeyed God for a while. They knew how to pray. But Balaam got overwhelmed by what was going on. He determined to go away. 
And finally, because of what the animal said to him, God speaking through a dumb animal, Balaam sort of came to himself for a little while and realized he couldn't curse them. But then the thought came, well, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can tell Balak what will curse them. And sort of he came and he said, sir, I can't curse them. God won't let me, but I'll tell you, you can curse them. Here's how to do it. You throw a big shindig out there, have a big party, have a lot of liquor, have a big dance, get the girls to wear miniskirts, and then invite all these Hebrew boys down there. And let them have just a big, big hurrah down there. Ha ha. Balak said, that's what we'll do. So the girls of Moab threw a big party. And they invited all the guys from over in the Israeli armies to come down there. We're going to have a good big time. And the liquor was flowing freely. And after a while, the Israeli men committed whoredom with those Moabite girls. And Israel was cursed. Who did that? Balaam did it. He had gone away from God. When you go away from God, you're going to subject yourself to wasted years. You think Abel didn't have very long to live. I don't know how old he was when he died at the hand of his brother. Cain lived a long time, but all those years were wasted years. Balaam, Balaam lived after this, but all those years, wasted years. There's a third person mentioned here. His name is Korah. Let's look at Korah for just a moment. Look in chapter 16 of Numbers. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peltha, the son of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, you take too much upon you. Seeing all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Moses was the meek man. Here was Korah, a contemporary of Moses. Cain, a contemporary of Adam and Eve and Abel. Balaam, a contemporary of Moses. Korah, a contemporary of Moses. They had Moses as an example, but Korah became jealous. He became, uh, he refused to acknowledge spiritual authority. You see, there is a type of chain of command in the army of the Lord. We don't often talk about it. But in the military, a buck private listens to his sergeant. Sometimes his corporal. The sergeant listens to the lieutenant. 
And the lieutenant listens to the man above him and on and on and on until you get to a general and then the general of the army and finally the president of the United States. There's always a chain of command. And you can go to the brig or get a dishonorable discharge if you don't follow the chain of command. Now in the army of the Lord, there's a chain of command. God had placed Moses in charge. Moses had gone down to the land of Egypt, had said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And all through that period of time when there was the pestilence and so on, and then finally the Passover lamb and the people of Israel went across the Red Sea on dry land and Pharaoh's army got drowned. They wandered in the wilderness because they would not listen to God. And during that wilderness wandering, Korah, Korah, Korah got spiritually sick. He said, I'm tired of this chain of command. I'm tired of listening to, to General Moses. Moses, you think you're better than anybody else? You think you're the only holy man around here? All these people are holy. We're all holy unto the Lord. Well, there's a truth in that. If you're saved, you're holy to the Lord. If you're part of God's army, you were part of the holiness of God. But God still had a chain of command. He said, I want you to listen to Moses. And Korah said, I don't have to listen to Moses. I'll do what I want to do. And in rebellion in his heart, he led a rebellion against Moses. And we don't have time to read the rest of the story from the scripture. But it goes like this. Korah led 250 people in rebellion against Moses. And Moses appointed a day and said, God will show today who is in charge. And Korah and all his group came to the front of their tents. And Moses came to the front of his tent. And Moses lifted up his eyes and prayed, Lord, let it be known today who is in charge and who is the one through whom you're going to speak. And immediately the earth began to tremble and the earth quaked. There was great fire. And the earth swallowed up all those 250. And Korah, one of the most powerful, talented men, went down in the first picture of hell given in the Bible. Now, Korah lived wasted years. There's one more illustration I want to bring to your attention, and then we'll be through tonight. If you'll turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 10, the saddest words, I think, in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Paul had just said, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And then he says in verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Who is Demas? Demas is mentioned at least three times in the scripture. He was an associate of Paul. He was a co-worker, respected. In the other two places in Philemon and Colossians, Paul had complimented him, bragged on him. 
He was somebody. But somehow something filled his heart. Rebellion filled his heart. And Demas, rather than to pay the price to stick to it and keep on keeping on, went away from God. Wasted years, wasted years. We don't read anymore about Demas. I've tried to imagine what was it like in his later life. In just a few days, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the great missionary, is beheaded on the Appian Way. And there comes all across Christendom that news gets out from Rome and goes over to Ephesus and down to Jerusalem and everybody everywhere that knew Paul hears about it and their hearts are moved and the Bible says, I mean, history says the seed, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And when that happened, God's people began to grow and the church began to grow and glow and go. What about Demas? Demas, defeated, discouraged, lived the rest of his life in the shallows. Never did what God wanted him to do. Never. Why? Instead of coming to church on Sunday, he said, well, I'll just go and spend Sunday with some other people. Some of my friends, some of my cronies, they go to church sometimes. If they're late, I'll be late. They didn't even get there. Demas decided, it's too big a price. Why, preacher Paul was just a fanatic anyway. Always talking about your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Telling us to honor the Lord in our body. How preposterous, I'll do whatever I want to do. And Demas lived the rest of his life in the narrows and in the shallows, never doing what God wanted him to do. Wasted years, wasted years. Look at these men for a moment. Here was Cain, a son of Adam and Eve, the elder son. He could have had all the influence he could have been a spiritual champion. Instead, God had to replace him in just a few chapters with a man named Seth. And Seth is the one through whom God traced the lineage for the Messiah. Not Cain. Cain had to be placed aside. And beloved, so will you. If you come to a point of rebellion against God and you do not do what God's putting on your heart to do, you do not follow his will for your life. He'll put you aside. And he'll raise up somebody else to do the work. Here's Balaam. Probably one of the most popular seers of his day. He was a contemporary of Moses. Perhaps he went to eat lunch with Moses sometimes. He knew the oracles of God. But he put a price tag on him. He became for sale. There are some people today who are for sale. Whoever gives the highest price, that's who I'll follow. If the crowd wants me to be popular with them, I'll pay any price to be popular. I'll pay any price to have pleasure. I'll pay any price to have people think well of me, to get men's applause. Balaam did that. And God had to set him aside, so I can't use you. And all the rest of his life, wasted years. Korah, why Korah was a somebody. People respected him. He was really a somebody. But he got rebellion in his heart against Moses. 
He said, I don't want Moses to be telling me what to do and telling the church what to do and telling people all the time what to do and telling all these elders what to do and telling people what to do. I don't want him to do that. He thinks he's the only holy man. Everybody's holy. And God had to remove Korah and let him down in the abyss. Demas? Demas could have been another Timothy. You don't read anything in the Bible against Timothy. Timothy was one of the heroes of the New Testament. Demas was on equal footing with Timothy. There came a life, time in Demas' life when he said, I don't want to follow this old fanatic any longer, old Paul. I like the bright lights of the city. I like what's going on out there in the popular crowd. I'm going to go with them. And he set his face toward that which would degrade him and take him away from God's will. And God had to say, our demons, I'll remove you. I can't use you. I think in Demas's later life, after Paul was gone and after Timothy was gone and maybe John was gone, Demas may have lived to be an old man. I think he must have thought, oh God, why'd I do that? Why'd I do that? I visited a man some time ago, an old man, he was in his 80s, and he said, uh, I was several years younger than this, several times, several years ago. And he said, uh, son, I'm glad you're serving God. He said, there was a time when God tugged at my heart to be his servant. And I got interested in other things. I started missing church. I started missing my Bible. I started doing what the crowd wanted to do. And I didn't follow the will of God. He said, I've lived a long life and maybe God let me live this long life, but it's been full of regrets, full of sorrow. Son, keep on keeping on. That's what I would say to you tonight. Keep on keeping on. Don't subject yourself to wasted years. Wasted years. What a tragedy. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study the Word of God. We pray that these men that we've looked at tonight would be reminders like monuments to remind us not to go in their way, but to follow God's wonderful plan. We pray that if there's one person here tonight who is not sure he's saved, they do not jeopardize his eternal destiny by just doing the best he can, but will determine to give his heart to Jesus, placing his all on the altar. We pray that we'll tug at the hearts of some young men and young women here tonight. And those of middle age and those of older years and some little boys and girls. That there would be an openness that would say, Lord, I don't want to run the danger of wasted years. I want to give my years to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please, and Brother Buster, would you find the song?
I've wandered far away from God and now I'm coming home. I want us to sing that song tonight. Lord, I'm coming home. Now listen, he'll announce the number in a moment. This is God's invitation. If you're here this evening and there's been any sense in your heart, any sense at all, that you may be wandering away from God or God's plan, God's perfect plan for your life. God is calling you from a life of wasted years. Give your life to him. Put it on the altar. Serve him. Say, Lord, here's my life. I want to be used by God. I don't want to turn to the left or the right. I want to just go straight on, right on for God. If you're here and you're not sure you're saved, would you come to Christ tonight just as you are? Just say, Jesus, I want to give you my heart. What's the number of that song? 309. 309. 309. I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. Is there anyone who has heard God speak to your heart tonight? You ought to make a response publicly, either coming to trust Christ or coming to obey the Lord, the will of God for your life, or to come just say, I need to get going for God again. I haven't been serving Him like I ought to. Or you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized yet, and you want to follow Jesus in baptism. You come while we sing. Will you come?